Well, good morning, everybody. I'm Larry Jacobs. This is Free K-12 Education Talk Radio. We're going to talk about higher ed today, however. Okay, it's the 21st birthday of spring, 2023, and thanks for being with us today. Happy springtime. We're expecting five to eight inches of snow on Saturday in Maine here, just so you know that, okay? Okay, so spring, spring is relative. It's a relative term. Welcome to today's show. I'm thrilled to have Two incredible guests with me today, Dr. Seagal, Ben Porath from the University of Pennsylvania's Graduate School of Education. Uh, she is an expert on free speech at edu- at, uh, in higher education and throughout democratic institutions throughout the U.S. She's written a great book called Cancel Wars. Okay, she's offered guidance to many, many campuses on policy development and responses to controversies surrounding speech, which you know is a big issue these days. And we also have the person who helped me put all this together, Dr. Juliana Pure-Lugayev, okay? And she is a clinical associate professor at the School of Education at Johns Hopkins in Baltimore, okay? So this is going to be a terrific show. We're going to talk about free speech, new college in Florida. I think probably we'll mention Governor DeSantis along the line. I want to talk to Dr. Ben Pureth about that, her colleague at the University of Pennsylvania, Amy Wax, okay? I'll listen to that, and um, we'll be bring them on in just a second. I just want everybody to know we're going to archive the show over at our usual place, which is ace-ed.org. That's the home website of our Consortium for Equity and Education, <clears throat> ace-ed.org. And I do hope you go over there and uh, check out what we do. Join with us. Everything we do is free for educators, okay? So please Check it out, okay, ace-ed.org. And without further ado, I want to bring on these two incredible professors. And there we go. We're getting it okay. Let's start with the person who put it together, Juliana. Are you there? I am. Hi. How are you this morning? I am fine. How are you? Are you in Baltimore? Where are you today? Um, yeah, I'm just south of Baltimore in uh, in Catonsville. And okay. uh, we have daffodils instead of snow here. <laughs> I'm looking out at about two feet of snow still on my lawn, and um, <laughs> like I said, welcome to spring, uh, five to eight inches due here in Maine on uh, Saturday. And, uh, Dr. Ben Porth, am I pronouncing your first name right? Is it Seagal? Yes, it is. Thank you, Larry. Thank you for telling me that. I was curious about that. It's such a pleasure to have you here today. Okay, and by the way, you teach at the University of Pennsylvania. I grew up not too far from there. You were at about 38th Street. West, and I grew up at 76 West. Okay, 76 oh. Street. Yeah, from over Park. Practically neighbors, yes. Practically neighbors. <laughs> Are, do you live in Philly? Uh, I live right, right outside of Philly. Good enough. Okay. And I, I think from the looks of your phone, I think it's the Jersey side. Right, yes. There I you go. Phone in Jersey, definitely. So, phone wise, I'm a Jersey girl. <laughs> Jersey girls are A-OK by me. Uh, Juliana, mm-hmm. we're, we're K-12 here, but we um, I'm so interested in this. I want to delve into, if I make a bad po- uh, rhyme here, del- delve into K-12, but you are both college professors. You're both at schools of education. Okay, we have to look at the way uh, higher education is training teachers. We have to think about that. We have to talk about the whole free speech thing, and of course, it all boils down these days even worse than it ever did, and I guess it always did to a certain extent, but uh, to politics, 
okay, and all that sort of thing and what's going on these days. Juliana, I, I know you are so interested in the new, what's going on at the new college in Florida, okay? There's been a change in the trustees, the state-run organization that moves basically from liberal to conservative. And just talk about your interest there. And also tell us what you do over at the Johns Hopkins, because I did, did want to get to that first. Uh, you're with the International Mind, Brain, and Education Society. You helped found that. And you've written some research on that. And I think that neuroscience, okay, and the way we learn is extremely important. And we don't do enough to teach new teachers about it. All right. And so just talk about your background and how you got involved with New College, et cetera. Juliana Poré, Lugoya. Thank you so much, Larry. Uh, So when I was in uh, graduate school, it was in the late 90s and functional MRI, this is the technology that when you see you know, pictures of the brain with little blobs of color on it. Functional MRI really had just been discovered, and it was a the mm-hmm. early days of trying to connect uh, neuroscience and education. So uh, other student and faculty uh, worked together to create the International Mind, Brain, and Education Society, which is a effort to connect ju- not just neuroscience and education, but practitioners into the process of uh, understanding how mm-hmm. to do education differently and better. Uh, and really, I sit in that space. I sit in that space in between educational research and educational practice. And in that way, I've worked on curriculum topics in K-12 spaces. Um, I've worked to understand and support uh, families affected by pediatric cancer for Oof. the processes Oof. that they've got to um, go through as they interact with an education system in this new space when their child may have been affected uh, Mm -hmm. cognitively um, by pediatric cancer. My connection to New College and to Florida in general um, includes that I was a a middle schooler at Boca Middle in Florida, and uh, I went to Spanish River High School in Boca Raton, Florida. So uh, shout out. (laughs) That's where my parents lived for years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where my parents lived. (laughs) My drama teacher, Rita Dominic, who uh, I'm actively in touch with, uh, you know, as early as a week ago. Um, this goes back to the 80s when I was there. Um, and my debate coach, Bert Pothurst. Um, you know, the, the experiences I had in my Florida high school setting allowed me exposure to books that weren't banned, and I appreciate that. Um, and I went on from there to New College. So New College, as you mentioned, it's a uh, – Public Liberal Arts College. It's the Honors College of the state system. And it is both unusual and sort of what I hope education can always be for people because it is a space of inquiry and action. Uh, you, know, it, you know, when you imagine uh, a college as a place where you're staying up, you know, late each night, talking with friends, trying to understand how the world works, deeply exploring the ideas that you're exposed to, whether it's through literature, political science, the sciences. New College is a place like that where you literally will find almost anybody that you talk to is just interested in understanding and thinking together and taking action, um, you know, where, where it's appropriate. So the... Uh, Florida being a sunshine state, 
when we understood that. Yeah, you know, we hope it's sunshine of the mind. We hope it's sunshine <laughs> of the mind, be sun just the skin. If you may continue, please. Yes. Okay. <laughs> the, um, when we understood that DeSantis was uh, bringing in uh, six new trustees all at once, which was unusual because the, regulatorily they need to uh, bring them in in a staggered basis. But this board of trustees has enormous power for uh, defining leadership at the campus and for uh, setting the mission uh, of the school. So mm-hmm. bringing in six people who are just diametrically opposed to mm-hmm. free thinking um, in the sense that, you know, we are more than open uh, at New College and, you know, for me personally, you know, more than open to viewpoints that uh, are highly diverse. But it doesn't seem that they are. Um, it seems that what they want to do is to um, bring in exclusively uh, conservative uh, viewpoints. But really, That's while right. I'm very, very interested in New College, what brought me to you um, is that uh, on, October, on January 31st, uh, we watched the Board of Trustees' first meeting when the conservative folks were brought in. And in that meeting, uh, they fired the um, the then current President Oker. Before the, they held the vote, before they publicly said in the meeting that there was even going to be a vote, an email was circling around the alums that congratulated uh, now interim President Corcoran on his having been put into that position. And that was very, very disturbing um, on all kinds of levels. So it really began uh, what has become for me a very, very deep dive, uh, and it led me to see how the actions of now interim President Corcoran, previously commissioner of uh, K-12 education in, uh, in Florida, how these actions are really about a challenge to academic freedom and to educational freedom around the state. So at the K-12 level, really controlling um, in a very new and different way what kids are and aren't allowed uh, to read yep. and having that be decided by big government um, in a way that's uh, very, very dangerous and scary. I, I agree with you. By the way, I, I read where uh, uh, Hampshire College, another liberal college uh, in Massachusetts, okay, has invited new college students to apply there, and they will admit them. Okay, so they, they can, can, yeah, which is good. That's good, but it doesn't solve the problem of new college. Okay, which brings, and here's, here's the challenge, which is just, it, it's so wild. It, it just strikes me. And Juliana, I get it. I didn't know that you, uh, hey, you had the Boca Raton connection at Spanish River. That's right where my parents lived on Spanish River Road. Okay. Uh-huh. Um, <laughs> what can I tell you? Okay. Uh, again, Philadelphia my, migration routes. All right, the, the Seagull probably knows about those. Okay, and um, you know, but but the fact that you went to New College, it's unbelievable. And the, the, my question, yeah, it's conservative, and the Seagull's going to give me the answer because she wrote Cancel Wars about higher education. Seagull, uh, it, it, it's a state-run college. Can't they do what they want? That would make it kind of political to begin with. It would, I understand Juliana's distress. Believe me, I do. Okay, but. Uh, what, what, 
What's wrong with putting in conservative as opposed to liberal? I mean, I don't agree with it, but then again, Seagal, help us, Dr. Ventura. Right. Right. So, you know, public education is this unique animal, right, both in the K-12 and the higher ed uh, levels, because in higher ed, in, in public education, you do have a structured opportunity for the government to have a voice because the government is seen as a representative of the people, of the public, right? Yep. And so uh, they do have permission to, for example, make decisions about curriculum or about other, you know, core ways in which uh, programs at both of these levels operate. Um, at the same time, uh, organizing these interventions in a way that is driven by narrow ideological perspectives, mm-hmm. while not illegal, um, uh, it, it is not illegal, but it is surely um, both unusual and, I would argue, inappropriate, right? Because uh, I would the agree. Effort here, right, the, the effort yeah. here is to direct to intervene in the institutional and professional autonomy of these institutions, again, whether K-12 or higher ed, and to make decisions about their internal operations, such as, you know, which departments are going to be supported or canceled, which professors are uh, staying or going. And um, the, the whole idea of some levels of professional autonomy and institutional autonomy is really meant to shield learning institutions, educational institutions, from exactly this type of direct government intervention. So uh, in my view, again, while these processes may not be illegal, right, Um, and of course that's up for debate uh, in terms of the policies and the particular, uh, you know, um, uh, legal guidance that regulates them, even if they are not illegal, uh, they are surely not aligned with notions of um, professionalism, academic freedom, uh, open inquiry, and the like, you know. So they really don't support the way that we think about education in a democratic country in which the government doesn't um, get the full and final say on what happens in each classroom. And let me be the devil's advocate here. Would, 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 conservative, would conservative people say the same thing about the way New College was? I'm going to ask Seagal on that one. Okay? And right. Again, I'm playing the devil's advocate. I, I don't agree with what's going on down there, but there, there are always two sides to every story, if I may. Okay. Wouldn't right. they say, well, it was I mean, way too so, Yeah, it's state-run. Yeah. Go ahead. I mean, definitely there could be two sides to each story, although they are not always necessarily equally valid, right? So people right. can have different opinions on this matter for sure, and their ideological can drive that. Um, I would say that if somebody thought, that New College Florida or other educational institutions do not properly represent some positions, uh, you know, then definitely they can try and influence yeah. that or raise their voice about that or try and have um, 
some support for these additional voices. But I would say that broadly speaking, uh, in education generally, and uh, again, at the various levels, uh, the curriculum is not broadly driven by ideology. Sometimes uh, commitments within the particular parts of the curriculum can reflect ideas that are more favorable by one or the other ideology, and we can have a push and pull about that. But I think, for example, if you want to teach American history, it makes no sense to try and, um, uh, you know, to try and balance factual commitment to um, uh, narrative history and the way that it's understood within the discipline with uh, preferred perspectives that are not grounded in facts, right? So we're not going to balance, you know, fact with inaccuracy right? Uh, education is committed to and a certain true perspective, right? Uh, rather than ideological perspective. And one, one sometimes would, there could hope. be aspects that, right, you know, and, and if, 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 if new college is overly leaning in a certain direction, and you know what? It might be. I never visited there. Uh, I don't know, the, you know, but, but it's not impossible to think that there could be small liberal arts colleges that are more leaning progressive in terms of the student body and maybe also in terms of the faculty leaning. It's not unheard of, right? But I don't think that the way to fix it is uh, to come in with the government yeah. hand and try to rebalance it. Uh, there are other ways that institutions are trying to correct for that and, and, and that the public is trying to correct for that. And I think they are more um, aligned with the way that a good uh, public uh, or other, but definitely public college uh, can operate rather than having the governor come in and place his own people, and and they wreak havoc, uh, you know, on the um, leadership and the student body and the curriculum and declare that they want to get rid of the current students and replace them with a different type of student that's yep, going to be, yep. you know, leaning differently. That's, that's just not the right way to do it, even if the concerns uh, I, I, are partly valid. Yeah, and, I, and, and, of course, I agree with you. Okay, I really do. All right, it's, it's just ridiculous. And, you know, the, the students are going to go back to you in just a second, Juliana. The students who went there went there for, quote, a liberal education, okay? There okay. are colleges that are conservative, okay, or, or Roberts, Liberty University, okay? That's a good example. They are conservative, okay? Somebody with a liberal leaning isn't probably going to go to those schools, okay? Right. And, but those are private. Those are private. Okay, not, not, not public. Okay. Yes, although I just want to really briefly say, Larry, uh, um, New College is liberal with a small L, right? Obviously, as mm-hmm. you know, right? So it, it doesn't mean that this is a college that is leaning liberal or progressive in its well, that's ideological perspective. That's, right. yeah, that's exactly what I was going to ask Juliana. Juliana, you're a graduate, okay? Okay. okay. Well, you know, we talk about all this. It was, was and, and again, there's nothing wrong with this from my perspective. Because kids, students can pick the college they want to go to. 
All right. It, it, but again, it's a public thing run by the governor. Right. Can I tell you that's the danger? Okay. Was it, Julie? Define it, Julian. Okay. Was, was, was it, quote, liberal in terms of politics? You know, I, th- I think in some ways, I think that that's the wrong question to ask. Right. It, it, the, then send me on the right way, doctor. Yeah. I mean, as Segal brought out, right, it's not a question about whether a given set of students and faculty at a given moment in historical time um, have uh, had conversations and interests and curiosities that lead toward a curriculum where there are um, predominant views among the people who are there at the time that are more liberal or conservative. The question is whether as an institution it has a specific mission to be conservative, to be liberal. And in making a statement that the the, uh, new trustees want to make New College the Hillsdale of the South, when Hillsdale College is a, a very specifically, as is their absolute right to be, a, a private liberal arts college that teaches that um, you know, the center of knowledge is exclusively uh, from a Western perspective, and that uh, as a religious institution, they have you know, other sorts of views. And here also, again, new college, is just one example of a very broad strategy that's being yeah. utilized yeah. not just to cut off the heads at the board of trustee level, but in um, our public school systems, we're seeing that the um, school board members, many of them, many new school board members are uh, coming in specifically supported um, logistically by DeSantis many of whom don't have kids in public schools that have kids in private schools. And they go in and they fire the superintendents. It's creating this huge destabilizing force. In Broward County, they have had three superintendents so far this year. It's very, very challenging for... Which county did you just say? Which county did you just say? Broward. Broward, yeah. I know. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. there's multiple positions for superintendencies that can't be filled um, by the, uh, you know, by the state because mm-hmm. of the destabilization. And I think that that is by design. I don't think it is of high concern because I agree. there are very, yeah, very clear statements that the goal is to pull funding from public schools using the voucher system. Um, that uh, the new legislation that's going through now will right. allow anybody to pull their funds through. And, you know, these are, these, this means money going to kids and families who were never in public school in the first place in many cases. And once the money goes into a private charter school or another private school of this entity, there's no more tracking of it. So now your tax dollars are going into the tax system, and then they're going behind closed doors with no accountability. Um, they can hire a contractor to do the grounds, a contractor to uh, teach the kids. And once it's a contractor, there's no more regulatory supports. And there's no reporting on what, how well your kids are doing, no federal protections uh, for your kids in terms of the character of the education and the quality of the education uh, that they receive. So 
allowing this to continue uh, really is a, you know, it's just handing the keys to the public coffers um, over and pulling, um, pulling public voice out of public education. Well, I, uh, yeah, I would agree. I would agree with you. Half the public, I have to say it this way. I do agree with, I, I, I'm in a bad position here because I agree with you. I just want to try to play the devil's advocate if I may. Okay. Please do. Yeah. This is because I do agree with you guys. I really do. Okay. But you know, half of the public is very conservative. All right. And I'm not arguing their, their point of view, but they feel like they've been left out of the situation. All right. And one of the challenges we have in public education is that teachers and public educators, superintendents, et cetera, haven't been tra- trained to deal with this and defend themselves and the, what, what we're doing so well. It, it, it's so hard to do, okay, to, to people. So, that, so they're looking for a way to gain control to get their uh, ideas into the school, all right? And it, I think it's going to be I – mean, we are in for some big challenges, okay? And everybody knows this, and nobody can fight the good they're – try, they're trying to fight the good fight without the real training we need. And there are people who are educators are, are, are facing some real challenges now, okay? For what I always say is lower pay than most other professions, okay, for which they've gone into student debt, et cetera, et cetera. Superintendents don't want the aggravation. What do we do, Juliana? I mean, we're, we, you know, I agree with you, but what do you, what do you do about this? Okay, do you wait five years and everybody says, oh, look how lousy the schools are, and then we put into somebody else into politics and just start switching back and forth again? What do we do? Um, so I'll just say that. And I hope my little rant I, there made sense. I, it, it, the whole thing aggravates me, I've got to tell you. It aggravates me so badly I, I can't believe it but we have to do something and take into account respect for the other side as well go ahead as awful as this experience has been as a new college alum watching uh, yeah. so many things that i value uh, being torn apart i am also so incredibly heartened and every single day I have dialogue with a new person who is, or, you know, a new old friend who's, I, who's associated <laughs> with the new college community in some way and or just really caring about what's happening in the public K-12 space in general. Because these things are happening not just in Florida. Um, DeSantis is working on it in, in uh, concert with other uh, governors in other states. So what do you do? Well, our, our, our Arkansas and Virginia is good examples. Yeah, that's right. But, but you, work with the, you work with people. You work with people who hold conservative viewpoints. You work with people who hold liberal viewpoints. And you understand that, I mean, everybody likes to say, but it truly is the case that there's more that unites us than divides us. And while there are uh, folks who are true believers on the ideological um, ends of the spectrum. And as Segal says, you know, there are always uh, at least two sides, right? But it doesn't mean that every side is as grounded as others. But there is an awful lot of middle ground. So my suggestion in terms of what we do, we do what America is built for us to do. 
we work together in a democratic space and we go to the school board meetings and be voices of reason and, um, you know, ears that listen with goodwill. I, can can I just add for one second? And uh, I, I, I want to agree with all of that, but I really just want to add that um, the, the framing that, you know, half the country is conservative and we need to take their perspectives, um, diverse perspectives within that camp into account is completely true. But I don't think this is necessarily what's happening here because, uh, in fact, when you look over decades and decades on how people think about and feel about and observe public education, Mm -hmm. the public supports public education across ideological perspectives, conservatives and liberals, you know, right and left wing, particularly Mm -hmm. parents who are sending their children to public schools, they tend to love their public schools. And this is a relatively stable phenomenon, right, with some fluctuations. You're right. You're right. A lot of the people who are critical of public education, public schools, public colleges, a lot of the people who are critical are people who are not, in fact, a part of the system as parents or participants. And so I think that um, uh, protecting, defending, and supporting public education at all levels is not a progressive or left-wing agenda. It's actually an agenda that crosses boundaries. It's not even middle ground, which is important. It's common ground. It's ground that we all are standing on. Uh, Well, all, maybe it's an exaggeration, but, you know, a vast majority of this country really uh, loves and supports public institutions of education. And um, to the extent that they need um, improvement or that they need further um, expansion of the uh, perspectives that are offered there, you know, I think that's par for the course. I mean, we are always, you know, rethinking curricula and revising required courses. And, you know, in Arizona right now, there is uh, a significant effort to introduce civic education at the higher education level. And there are some lovely, innovative and important ideas that are being developed there um, to ensure that all students are able to think about diverse perspectives and about democratic values, etc. Mm-hmm. So, uh, and this is also coming from a conservative legislature, right? Yes, and, uh, and a group of, of people with diverse ideologies, definitely including um, uh, conservative and libertarian folks. Uh, and and so so these are things that can be done in a collaborative, uh, thoughtful, um, and actually uh, you know a, a common ground way that is not driven by an effort uh, of uh, creating an ideological uh, takeover. Uh, yeah. I, I I loved your thought, but the one, the one argument or the one thing I would disagree with you is when you said that the that a lot of people are not part of the system, okay? And due to the way we raise taxes for education, whether or not you have children in school or whatever, they are part of the system of funding and influencing the schools. You know know this as well as I do, okay? They are part of the system, and we have to influence them. We have to influence them for them to understand exactly what you just said. Right. 
Yeah, yeah. I just meant people who are less intimately and immediately yeah. familiar with the, the working of the system. Of course, they are a part of it, but it's a public system, right? Well, the, the one challenge we always have with the education is that everybody went through public, pretty much most people went through public school, okay? And their, their memory of public school is what they think public schools could be now. Ah, when I was a kid, we didn't need all these computers and all this sort of stuff. Well, that's not the way it is, okay? But that's the way people look at education. And then they're influenced by the politics. And, you know, you're both exactly where we have to we, – we, I do understand that, you know, we, we have that not both sides are equal, but there are two sides, okay, that we have to get people back to talking about this. But, boy, we are having a terrible time doing it, and in the meantime – we're letting one side dominate this, okay? And it's, it's just I, I, it's just terrible. And, and the classic example, we have to go to higher, well, also K-12, is what's going on in Florida right now. By God, in Florida, they, they've, uh, not to pick on Florida, but I guess we can today, okay? They, they were worried that learning about Rosa Parks would make a, 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 a child who's not African-American feel guilty, okay? They're removing Rosa Parks. All right, yeah. from, from from public education. Think about that, okay? And <laughs> I, I'm always, I am. And, we are thinking about yeah, it. It's, yeah, yeah. And, and I'm always reminded, and this is something that most people do not understand, okay? Germany had to face up to the Holocaust, all right? And for about 10 years after the war, they never did. That was not even mentioned in education or in the news, okay, in Germany. And finally, around 1957, 58, they started to realize that the challenge of that, okay, how, how insane that was, okay, you have to face up to your own history, okay, that's what makes things better, okay, and we, we just, you know, it's just, we, we've got to do something about this, and it's just so hard to get people to do it, and which brings me to another question I have to ask, and it has to do with the uh, University of Pennsylvania, Seagal. You're probably familiar with this too, Juliana. A colleague of yours over there is named Professor Amy Wax in a law school. You're familiar with this, Seagal? Yep. Yeah, you probably know her. Okay, and uh, the challenges and she has, ex- yeah, she has extremely, just to preface it, they have extreme, she has extremely conservative views in the eyes of her students, especially those students of, of color or of underrepresented groups at the law school. And everybody has to go through her course, and she has made comments that could be considered quite rude, all right, quite rude. And, um, and so there's been a movement now to have this tenured professor removed, all right? But the, the school, I believe the University of Pennsylvania is standing behind her, though I'm sure they do not agree with these, these, these comments. Okay, and now for the champion, okay, of free speech, okay, is her colleague, Sagal Ben-Pura. Okay, Amy's co- Amy, Dr. Wax's, co- uh, Professor Wax's colleague. So what's going on over there, Sagal, from the inside? You're the, you're the expert. Right. Well, so that's a little bit of a tough spot for me, Larry, just because um, this is a personnel process that is currently underway, and I would say mm-hmm. just very generally about the process, but I really cannot uh, comment on it as long as Fair it's enough. ongoing. Um, but I would just say, broadly speaking, that um, 
tenure, of course, the, the system of tenure, uh, both for K-12 teachers and for professors, is a very important system that is meant to protect the freedom that uh, these individuals have to do research and to teach in a way that mm -hmm. is unencumbered by, um, you know, the shifting winds of the public or uh, the shifting preferences of elected officials. And uh, the, the notion of tenure and more broadly the notion of academic freedom and similar protection is really meant to ensure that we do not have um, ideology as the driver of NL or other research decisions, um, uh, you know, particularly in higher education, uh, uh, but, but, but also in K-12. And we are seeing, in fact, that uh, people who are most at risk for being fired um, uh, from their uh, positions in higher education are people who are currently teaching about race and racial history or about gender uh, and women's equality or gender diversity or similar topics um, in states that are, um, uh, you know, that are driven by conservative ideological perspectives yeah, in the legislature yeah. and the govern govern governor's mentioned. So uh, the, the story at the University of Pennsylvania, without going into uh, details, is actually a story where the institution uh, is trying to use proper uh, procedures to, um, uh, to address concerns that were raised by students. It's not an instance, as is happening in some of, you know, in some of the states that we're talking about Previously, right, it's a different story. Um, yeah, in which story. the government yeah. comes in and says, oh, no more gender studies, we're closing the department, no more African-American studies, we're closing the department, everyone is fired, which I think um, is and should be significant concerns to people who worry about academic freedom and free speech. Yeah, it, it, it should be. And, you know, there's an interesting thing with the University of Pennsylvania that, that just struck me, and that is that uh, the students, okay, who are protesting, and again, you don't have to say anything on this, y'all. The, the students that are protesting Dr. Wax, and I don't agree with her statements the way I read them, okay? I, I don't know if she read other things, but what I read, I don't agree with, okay? Neither do the students, and it becomes an economic factor. The, 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 when, when, like any, if, if economics matters, okay, to the life of a university, if you insult the students, Okay, the students are going to leave. All right, the students are going to leave. They're insulting your customers. All right, and that's a, that's a, a strange balance that you have to deal with. And students today, you know this better than I do, students today are so touchy about these things. Okay, we hear about all, well, this, all this, and so, they keep using woke. You know, I just, I just, can I, can I just read to you uh, uh, very quickly uh, a quote uh, that says, Students today are too sensitive to take uh, part in the rough hurly-burly of the actual work of the world. This is a quote from Teddy Roosevelt in 1908. Okay? Wow. So I just want to say... That's great. That's great. The notion that 
students today are overly sensitive is a perennial notion. We always hear about that. I don't think they were overly sensitive in 1908, and I don't think they are overly sensitive now. I think students are coming with a democratic message that says everyone should be properly included in our learning community. And this <laughs> message even if sometimes they overstate it or sometimes they respond too strongly to something that could be, you know, responded to more, uh, you know, in more thoughtfully. Sure, they are young, they are enthusiastic and passionate, and sometimes they overreact. I mean, I'm not coming here to say every word that every student has ever said has been correct. If that was the case, they would have nothing to learn. Right, and we all have right. something to learn, and they come to college to learn. So, uh, so, but, but I'm not worried about their over their being overly sensitive. I think students uh, are committed to a democratic vision, and we ought to listen to them rather than uh, call them snowflakes. That was that was beautifully that was beautifully put, and made me laugh. And uh, boy, that just <laughs> we. we we need perspective in all this, you know, and that's one of the best perspectives on all this I have heard. And we just, wow, it, it, it's just amazing. What's going to happen? Hey, Juliana, what's going to happen? What do you expect to happen with new college? I know you're upset about it, and you should be. Okay, I am too. I think it's ridiculous. But what's going to happen? What do you think? You know, I think it depends a lot on the degree to which the real will of the voters comes through. Um, there's a University of North Florida uh, poll that shows that 61% of folks in Florida oppose the current legislation that prohibits campus activities that um, are related to diversity, equity, and inclusion. And, you know, that in general, the large, there's very large majorities of Democrats, 79% of independents, 68% who oppose the higher education reforms that DeSantis is trying to push through. Only a slim majority of Republicans, 56%, support them. And I think that as long as we let people vote, and we let them vote in ways that demonstrate their conscience, that we will come out on the right side of this. Um, in the short term, um, I can tell yeah. you that the students that are there now are, you know, they're in a, in a mix of, of all the positions you would think they might be. Uh, they're fearful. Um, they have a trustee who says that he is a soldier in DeSantis's army and uh, that yeah. he wants yes. as a soldier to bring Hillsdale College into new college. Um, so, you know, that is a concern. Um, Whatever happens to New College, the students who are there now are getting a tremendous education about a number of things, including how much communities come together when there are significant threats to fundamental freedoms. And that's what I want uh, the New College students who are there now uh, to know, that we are there for them. Um, and that we are there for them regardless of their political viewpoints. Well, I'll, I'll agree with that. We are there for them. And uh, it may last. Hampshire College has stepped up for them. I got to, I'll say that again, okay, for the kids. It's really, it's really brutal out there, which brings me to my last question for both of you. And both of you 
are professors at schools of education. And as you both know, the fewer and fewer people are becoming educators. All right? And that's a problem. That's a challenge. And with all this that we're talking about here and all the pressure we put people under as they become educators, again, they spend a lot of money for a the, one of the lower-paying professions. It's a great profession, but it's one of the lower-paying professions. All right? Yet the, the tuition to college is the same. Okay, when you can become an engineer and make ninety thousand a year, you become a teacher. Okay, you can make thirty-five thousand a year, but you still have to pay the same amount of that back to the university. Where are we going to find the? How do we get people to become teachers these days with all this pressure on them? I'm going to go to Juliana first. Juliana, I, I was hoping you had that answer, Larry. I don't. It's. Yeah, <laughs> no. I don't. You know, I think that you know. Un- Until we move away from a space that vilifies teachers, which is really what we have at the moment, right? We have a situation where we love our teachers, right? Any given family, they love the teachers that they have. But but there is a national narrative um, that is inaccurate, but which needs to be pushed back against. So somebody like Larry Arn, the president of Hillsdale College, who says, you know, that he doesn't see why teachers even need to be trained because anybody can be a teacher. Yes. It's, you know, a, a sense of um, just a fundamental misunderstanding about what's, you know, about what is needed. We need to help teachers feel respected by respecting them. Right. Absolutely. And I, 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 I just want to say something else. I want to say something else about that. Juliana, where you are on training teachers with, with, with neuroscience and the mind and brain and all that, I hope that becomes an intrinsic part of training educators. Because we, I mean, I was a, trained to be a teacher a long, long time ago. Okay, that never, none of that ever even came up. Okay, and we know so much more about how people learn. Mm-hmm. I have a Bachelor of Science in Education, but believe me, there was no science involved. Believe me, there was no science involved. Okay? And there should be. We know how people learn, and that's what we're supposed to do. And I think when we get that together and have people change the way teachers are, are taught, okay, and, and, and really get into the science of education, I, I think people are going to respect the, the – like they respect most scientists. I hope they do. Okay, in, in terms of their training. And Sigal, what, what do you think about all this, about getting people to become teachers? Well, so I, I surely agree with you that it's important to train teachers in, uh, you know, in the significant types of research, uh, like the one Juliana is involved in. Yeah. I also agree that uh, respecting teachers, uh, supporting teachers, and definitely paying teachers uh, like the Red for Ed movement was fighting for a couple of years ago. Um, these are important aspects. Uh, I think the most important part is not only just getting people to join teacher education programs and be trained as teachers. The hardest part is retaining teachers. Yes, it teachers is. are leaving yes, the is. profession yes, because they are. they are unsupported, because their work is being scrutinized in a negative fashion, Um, And because they are becoming demoralized by the expectations that we have of them, they want to do their work and we're not letting them do their work the way that they know uh, relate to children, you know, they want to support their development. And instead, either we are focusing all of our attention 
on our attention on standards and exams instead of professionalization of uh, the workforce, or we are focusing our attention on these rather ridiculous ideological fights. And I think supporting teacher and providing them space to express their uh, professionalism and their capacity and to give them the professional development that they need to continue yep. acting effectively, I think that's the way that we should go. And I hope that some states um, uh, at least are going to be to offer a counterbalance uh, to the processes we've been talking about and provide greater support for teachers um, to do their work uh, in the way that they know how to do. Both of you. I mean, you're, you're, you're right at the cusp of all this, and uh, you're just two excellent, excellent educators. And by the way, uh, just so you know this, Juliana, Dave Steiner, your good friend over there, is going to come on the show next week. He'll be going over here. Yeah, he's just a wonderful, wonderful person. And please tell you. And please tell your other good buddy, Ashley Berner, I said hi. Okay, somebody I just adore. So. Absolutely. Yeah, the, I just, I, I, I always think whenever, I have to tell you both this, whenever somebody brings up, and I bring it up all the time, how important a rigorous education is. That's what I always think of Ashley Berner over at Johns Hopkins. She is a leader in that, okay, and she's just amazing. And so are you, Juliana. Well, I appreciate the kind words, and I'm so grateful that you gave us an opportunity to oh. talk and learn uh, learn from you and talk together uh, about the very challenging situation um, in Florida and other states right now. Uh, it's just brutal, and thank you for help for thank you for introducing me to Segal. Segal, you are just wonderful, my my New Jersey girl. Okay, the University of Pennsylvania. <laughs> okay, and thank you so much. Yeah. And, 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 and your book is. Your book is Cancel Wars, and I am going to be buying that book because that is something that's just so top of mind for me, what's going on at universities. You are really an expert in free speech at universities, and uh, I can't thank both of you. Thank you so much. You're always welcome here. Thank you. Thank you so much. It was a pleasure. Mine too. Thank you. Take care, both of you. Bye-bye. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye. Juliana, that's Juliana Paré. Whoops, let me close this one down. Juliana Paré. Lagoyev of Johns Hopkins School of Education, and she is, wow, she's got this uh, mind, brain, education society. That's where she is, and I, I'll tell you, that's exactly where education training needs to go, into the neuroscience of knowledge and learning. And Sigal Ben Porath at the University of Pennsylvania, both of them were just so wonderful. And her book is about free speech. She's an expert on this, free speech in higher ed, and it's called Cancel Wars. And uh, I'm going to get that book because that's something that really matters to me. All right, we're going to archive the show at ace-ed.org. Okay, thanks for listening, everybody. I'm Larry Jacobs.